Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guest is Jim Healy, and I'm thrilled to have Jim back. Um, As most of you probably know, Jim is one of the experts that post quite frequently to our forum. Um, and is probably most expert in the technical and electronics types area. Um, And our topic today is coming straight from a recent forum thread. We're going to be talking about AIS, which has sparked quite a debate uh, of late on the forum. Before we get down to the topic, though, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors. They support AGLCA at the highest level, of course, and support Loopers as well. And they are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, United Yacht Sales of the Carolinas, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage everyone listening to support these businesses that support loopers. With the business out of the way, Jim, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome back to Great Loop Radio. My pleasure, Kim. For those who uh, maybe are not on the forum, because even non-members can listen to this podcast, of course, um, or, or people who maybe aren't familiar with your website that has lots of information. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your boating experiences. Well, uh, Peg and I bought the boat in uh, 2004 and uh, sold the uh, dirt home. We are now quads, right? Or not quads anymore. Cruisers living on dirt. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> right. we've, been, we've, been, we've been aboard for uh, 13 years, uh, full time. And, uh, in that time, we've cruised probably 50,000 miles, uh, six or 7,000 hours of uh, engine time, and uh, we have done the Great Loop. We did the, we finished the Great Loop in 2007, which uh, seems it seems odd to say it, but that's 10 years ago now. So, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and and uh, my hobby is sort of keeping up this little website. That's my way of paying forward all the help and advice I got from various different people as I was getting started. So that's mm-hmm. kind of it. I mean, Give us the, um, the URL for your website in case some of the listeners haven't come across it before. Uh, it's uh, gillwellbear, G-I-L-W-E-L-L-B-E-A-R, gillwellbear.wordpress.com. Okay, and it is a wealth of information there on all different boating topics, so I really encourage boaters to visit that website. In fact, Jim, we just had a seminar in Chicago last week, um, and at the end during the Q&A, your website actually came up as one of the questions and, and places for people to go for resources. So it's a popular site. Um, well, today we're going to talk about AIS. People... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, that's all right. Well, I just, I'm glad that people find it useful. I I uh, I write it for people who are I, I try to write to people who are not particularly themselves technical, but they so that they can kind of understand some of these technologies and issues. Not necessarily dive in and fix an electrical problem, but at least understand what kind of help they need to get. So that's that's what I write to. Well, and that's very helpful, especially to someone like me who is not technical, because um, you're right, it is written so that somebody like me can understand it, but also so that I can kind of figure out when to go get other help. So that's much appreciated. And in that respect, um, we're going to talk about AIS today. So let's 
start with the basics because actually at our recent seminar too, we were discussing AIS just in a Q&A kind of format. And some of the newer boaters says, said, wait, explain what you're talking about. So let's start from the beginning. Um, what is AIS? What is it intended for? AIS is the automatic information system. It is a navigational tool. Um, it is a, a way for boats to identify their current location and their course and speed over ground. And uh, you, it allows two boats to talk back and forth to understand where they might meet, um, how far away from one another they are. It is a VHF radio type technology, so it is able to see around corners, which makes it complementary to radar. Radar is line of sight, line of vision, whereas AIS is particularly useful on the inland rivers where you're, you've got bends in the river and you can't really see what's up ahead. But you may, be, you may have a large tow coming at you, so that you'll be able to see that tow and if you have a transponder type AIS unit, they'll be able to tow, will be able to see you. Mm -hmm. Well, talk about the transponders a little bit. I know there are um, Class A and Class B AIS. Um, tell us about the tra how those transponders work and what's the difference between those two classes. Okay, that's that. You know, that's sort of the heart of this conversation, I think. Um, okay. Class A technology is uh, the 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 older technology. Class A has probably been in service for 15 to 18 years. Uh, Class B is actually quite a new technology. Class B is uh, less than 10 years old. It, when we did the loop in 2007, B devices were not yet type approved in the United States. And what that basically means is that the, the communication standard that it used had not been approved by the FCC. So in 2007, when, when Peg and I did our loop, the, there were no Class B devices available in the United States. The only Class B devices in the world were in Europe, and they were basically uh, deployed as beta test uh, equipment. So the technology is really quite new. And that leads to a question of what's its primary mission? The, the original design of AIS was to assist the helmsman at a, in a commercial vessel, a 1,000-foot vessel, to understand what other traffic might be doing in sea lanes around the world, but mostly open sea lanes. The, the technology was not ever envisioned as a pleasure craft technology. And... If you want to read about the actual technology of how some of this works, it's, it's based on a technology called time division uh, multiple access, of which there are several subtypes. But the Class A technology guarantees that messages sent from a transponder will be received and sent in the system. Uh, Class B technology doesn't do that. Uh, there is no guarantee that the message that a, a, a unit on a particular boat sends will ever be heard anywhere. The likelihood is, the, 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 the probability is that those messages will get through, but there is no guarantee. So in 2007, the only AIS technologies that were around were, were Class A technologies 
they were very, very expensive. Uh, they were in the range of five to six thousand dollars for those units, and there were very, very, very few pleasure boats that had them. The Class B technologies came along in real time in about 2009 when they became type approved, and they are less expensive, but there's reasons for that. The, the radios on a Class B uh, unit are less strong, less powerful. Class A units are 12.5 watts. The 12.5 watts, uh, they claim a nominal uh, range of 20 to 25 nautical miles. The Class B transponders are two watts, and they claim a, a you know a range of around seven or eight nautical miles. And there are other differences as well. With Class A equipment, the the unit will update itself every three seconds. It tells you where it is. Class B units do that every thirty seconds. There are two AIS reserved radio frequencies, and Class B units come in two flavors. Class A units uh, will talk on both of those uh, frequencies, so 87A and 87B, and they do that at three-second intervals. Class B only does it at 30-second intervals, and if Class B may only transmit on one of the two frequencies, which means that for that unit, they're only transmitting their location once every 60 seconds. So for a very slow boats or for boats that are uh, uh, on the river system with tows that are also very slow, that may be adequate. But if you're talking about faster boats in areas like Stewart, Florida, or uh, uh, Wrightsville Beach in North Carolina, uh, that's not so good because those faster boats travel way faster, way much further in that minute, and and where where they are is nowhere near as accurate uh, with a Class B unit as it would be with a Class A unit. So those are right. those are just some of the things. Um, let me let me ask you now if if you want me to go any further with that. Well, let me ask you kind of a follow-up question on that. You mentioned that um, AIS was developed for um, large commercial traffic. Um, is that also the case with Class B, or was that specifically designed for the pleasure boaters? Well, <clears throat> Class B was designed for a lesser use. Uh, it is, it, uh, as you can see from what I've already described, it is not as uh, it is not intended to be. It is not designed to be as accurate or as com comprehensive as the Class B units, uh, Class A units are. Um, and their price point is much less. And by the way, the price points of both of these units has come down a lot in 10 years. You can now get a Class A unit for probably twelve to $1,500. Uh, and the, the Class B units are as inexpensive as maybe four to $500. So, and you can mm -hmm. get receivers, okay. receive only units for less than that. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of AIS. I think the AIS technology is a good technology to have, but I think that, uh, one of the concerns that I have, I guess the concern I have about it is that for inexperienced boaters, the, 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 the folks that raise their hand and say, tell me again, what is it? Those mm -hmm. boaters, they, they will immediately be encouraged to go off and install a Class B unit. And the truth of the matter is, uh, no aspersions here, but the fact is they're not really going to understand the technology they will believe it is more accurate than it really is, 
And so my concern is that it creates a false sense of security. And one of the problems that it does create is that it encourages you at the helm to take your eyes off the water and pay attention to what's happening on the screen of your chart plotter. And obviously that's not a good strategy. You need to keep a good visual lookout for uh, to maintain situational awareness. So I, I, I just I encourage people to not be overly reliant on, uh, on AIS and, and especially not overly reliant on Class B units. Mm-hmm. I, I so, think what you just described, Jim, is really kind of the core of the controversy surrounding AIS because it is something that sounds like it really shouldn't be controversial whatsoever. It's a good... Um, you know, aid for safety or aid for navigation, but certainly it doesn't, is not going to, you're not going to want to focus on that and take your eyes off of the water. And several examples of that were kind of posted on the discussion forum this week of situations where some of the very experienced captains in AGLCA who comment frequently talked about some circumstances where they were in um, very busy waterways and found themselves uh, not keeping the eye that they should be on the water itself rather than on the electronics. So talk to that a little bit, if you would, Jim. You know, tell us what people would be seeing on their electronic display and, you know, in layman term, layman's terms, kind of why that's not necessarily a good thing, although it is helpful in some circumstances. Well, I definitely think it's helpful in some circumstances. I, I, I posted the four that I believe are the most important. Uh, reduced mm-hmm. visibility is clearly a place where I support unqualified, unreservedly support using AIS. If you get stuck in fog or, you know, heavy fog or, or, or heavy rain or lousy weather, that's the exact right place to use AIS. If you are, uh, if you are uh, running offshore, uh, then definitely uh, that's a place to use AIS. Crossing from the Baham from Florida to the Bahamas or from the Bahamas home, uh, you know, a large lake uh, running running uh, the Gulf of Mexico from Caracal to uh, Tarpon or something like that. Yes, certainly that's a place to use AIS. Uh, nighttime operations, uh, if you're going to run at night offshore or or even inland, that's also a good place. And obviously, I I, I agree completely that it's wise to have AIS transponders on the inland rivers because the river, you know. On the U.S. East Coast, the biggest tows that I've ever seen are like the tugboat Pamlico and maybe two barges. But on the inland rivers, you're going to run into 7,500 horsepower tows, towboats pushing 30 to 40 barges. And those things are very constrained by maneuverability. And you need to, you need to know where they are. And an AIS receiver will do that. But so an AIS transponder will allow that barge to see you. And actually, that brings up a point that I wanted to mention. Do not assume that that tugboat captain is going to call you. It is your responsibility to be out of his way. He's the one who's constrained by maneuverability and constrained by draft. So it is your responsibility to be out of his way. If he calls you, that's a courtesy but it's your responsibility to call him. So you don't need a transponder to do that. You, you, you can get that, you do that with a receiver simply by knowing the name of the boat that's approaching you, and then you call him by name. He knows you mean him and not some other tow, 
and 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 that is really the way it is supposed to work. So it's completely a courtesy if they call you. And, and the name of the other vessels is just one of the pieces of information that the AIS um, display is going to show you. Is that correct? That, in my opinion, that's probably the most valuable piece of information is the name of that vessel. Now mm-hmm. let's uh, so so let's let's consider the uh, East Coast ICW in in um, busy places, South Florida. Uh, the Carolinas, particularly uh, North Carolina, around the major fishing centers, where you have a mix of sailboats and trawlers and cruisers and go-fast boats. These go-fast boats can go, sometimes they go three times faster than a trawler. I'm a, I'm a boat that travels seven and a half knots, let's say. It's not at all unusual for uh, sport fish to travel 30 knots or 25 knots anyway. Those boats are so much faster than I am that with a Class B AIS, their reporting frequency, by the time by the time they squawk, they can be a half or three-quarters of a mile behind me when they squawk and tell me where they are. And by the time they squawk again, three minutes later, they've passed me. If I'm relying on their old location, they are nowhere near where their last AIS transmission put them. That's why if you're, right. if you're dealing with a if you're dealing with a ship on the Chesapeake Bay, which those ships big ships traveling up and down the Chesapeake Bay typically travel at 18 to 20 knots. So I'm a 17 knot uh, I'm a I'm a seven and a half knot boat. If I'm if I'm closing on a ship that's that in other words if we're meeting, it's going to be but I can see him at a range of seven or eight miles. And I've got at least 20 minutes to get out of his way. But if he's overtaking me, I've probably got 35 or 40 minutes, and his AIS will give me plenty of time to get out of his way. My my objective is to be out of his deep water channel, out of where that big ship is going to be when we meet. And if I do need to call him, I can call him by name, the chances that he's going to answer up if I call him by name are 100%. But the chances of me saying, hey, the ship that's about 17 miles behind me, what, where are you going to be in 20 minutes? You know, it's like he, he doesn't even know who you're talking. Mm-hmm. So the name of the vessel is definitely the most important piece of data that you get from AIS because it enables you to call him, hail him on the radio and talk to him. Okay, and and the the situation where you were discussing like, like a go fast boat, for example, that's transmitting on the Class B, um, the inaccuracy of the data you're getting at that point is one of the reasons that you mentioned earlier that it can lead to a false sense of security. Um, right. Which is a, an excellent you, point. Something very important for people to realize. Yeah, you asked before, and I, I I'm sorry, I didn't answer the question. Let me deal with it now. What are, what's the guy going to see? Um, on his uh, chart plotter screen. What, what is a pleasure boater going to see on the chart plotter screen? And that question is a complicated question because to a very great extent it depends on the software of the chart plotter. Uh, some, some chart plotters are able to filter what you can see. So, for example, if a ship is at anchor in New York Harbor and your chart plotter is able to filter out displaying vessels that whose speed over ground is zero 
then you won't necessarily see that vessel. It doesn't mean he's not transponding, but it means that your chart plotter isn't going to show it as a target. Now, that's, uh, you know, again, this takes practice to understand what's best practice in terms of safety. Uh, if if I'm in reduced visibility, I don't want those filters because I don't want to take a chance of running into the anchor road of a big ship in the middle of a dark harbor. Um, mm-hmm. But but some some chart plotters can filter out some things, but others cannot. And so if you have a, a relatively small chart plotter, uh, like let's say you have a five or a seven inch screen, and you have 20 hits in a busy harbor. Those 20 hits uh, make it very, very confusing to actually figure out what's going on around you. If you take a, a let's take a, a port like Charleston in, in, on a summer afternoon or a port like uh, Wrightsville Beach or someplace like that or Stewart, Florida or uh, Annapolis in Maryland or Port Washington on Long Island Sound. There are so many boats going in so many different directions at so many different speeds that AIS isn't very helpful in that situation because, number one, those boats are probably not where the screen is showing you they are. And number two, they are moving toward you and away from you at speeds that are much greater than the refresh rate of what AIS reports. So you are way better off just to turn AIS off and look out the window. That My opinion. You know, that, that, some of this is right. my own experience and my own opinion. But I, I just think you're much better off to look out the window. The, 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 uh, the, the chart plotter under those circumstances becomes a digital distraction. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there was some pretty widespread agreement about that on the forum thread. Um, and also, although some people boiled it down differently, I think your four circumstances where it does make sense um, and where, where AIS can be extremely helpful, um, there was also broad agreement on that. Um, What I'd like to do is pause for a minute here and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I'd like to talk, kind of continue where we just were about that clutter that we see on the display and how um, we as boaters can help with that clutter in in circumstances where the AIS should absolutely not be turned on um, and and transmitting. So we'll be back in a moment continuing the discussion with Jim Healy. The new MJM-50Z is the most technologically advanced production motor yacht available. First worldwide to incorporate a Seakeeper gyro stabilizer as standard equipment to virtually eliminate roll in waves underway or at anchor. And in June 2015, the first to include fully opening power windshields for control of fresh airflow. MJMs are unique in the industry, built of environmentally clean, stronger and lighter epoxy compounds composites in the USA. Owner benefits are significant. A smaller carbon footprint with 50 to 100 percent better fuel efficiency. A top speed with optional triple IPS 600s of 40 knots and crews of 35 knots. A more responsive, enjoyable driving experience and greater safety offshore. For more information, visit them on the web at www.mjmyachts.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guest today is Jim Healy, and we are discussing AIS. Um, Jim, you mentioned the times when it's most appropriate and you can get the best, accurate, useful information from AIS. Um, But we also started to touch upon the clutter that can be on the screen. 
because we do have a lot of people new to boating that are getting interested in the Great Loop and are, are trying to um, expedite that learning curve and find out what they can as quickly as they can, talk about when not to even have the AIS transponder transmitting. The most obvious answer to that is if you're tied up in your home slip, in your home marina, or at your personal home, when that boat is secure, turn it off because it's just pollution. It's VHF pollution at that point. If you go by some of the big marinas in Florida that are located right on the ICW, you're virtually unable to see your screen because there are so many of these boats that are sitting there tied up in slips, transmitting, and they, it, there's absolutely nothing useful about that. They're, you know, Unless you're planning on going at seven knots through the, the middle of the marina, there's no, there's absolutely no value in that. It's just stupid. So, so I, just as a courtesy to other boaters, I ask you to turn it off. Now, on the river system, there are lots of places on the inland rivers where you wind up as loopers having to anchor in the river. That's, it's just because there are long distances where there aren't, uh, there are not otherwise um, uh, marinas or places that so you wind up having to anchor in the river. On the river system, I would tell you, leave the AIS running overnight because that way commercial tows that are operating on the river, now obviously you're going to try to get as far off the, the, the channel as you can. But it's always smart to have commercial tows know you're there. They will talk to each other. They will report that there are pleasure boats anchored. But still, it's certainly wise to have that, to have that beacon going off so that people know you're there. However, if you are cruising the outback rivers and, and creeks of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, I, I, I don't mean... To, to, to disparage those those states, but they're pretty rural areas. They're pretty. You, I, you might not want to have AIS announcing to the world that you're out there in some rural anchorage all by yourself. Uh, there there are people in the world who have nefarious uh, intent, and and uh, your AIS is just an attraction for them. So again, it you have to think about what the technology means. You have to think about security. You have to think about safety and uh, use the technology as well, as it makes sense for you. That's yeah, perfect advice because I, I do think I would... once you um, – sorry, I was just going to say I do think once you understand the technology, then deciding what to do with it becomes much more um, just a, a common sense type application um, once you understand what Class A and Class B are doing. So that's really helpful. Uh, what were you just about to add, Jim? Well, I was I... – an important thing for every pleasure boater to recognize that AIS was developed for commercial shipping. And as such, there are carriage requirements that are defined in international treaty that require certain ships and certain size vessels to carry AIS. There are no carriage requirements, legal carriage requirements for pleasure craft. There are no pleasure craft that are required by law to carry AIS. The consequence of that is that it's actually a very small percentage of boats that do carry it. An interesting thing that, that Peg and I found when, in, when we were cruising in Maine, the sailboat population in Maine, by, as a group, there is, there is a much higher density of AIS aboard sailboats in Maine. 
because there's a lot of heavy fog. But when you call them on the VHF radio, they don't answer up. So it's like I, I see you on AIS, but I can't contact you to arrange for safe passage. So it's like, what are you doing with the AIS? I mean, it's like you guys are nuts. So, so people, people do not always use this tool wisely. That's why it's all the more important for people who do use it to understand its limits. Right, and to avoid that false sense of security that you mentioned and that overconfidence. We're just about out of time. That, Any right. final thoughts on AIS that we have not covered so far, Jim? The only thing I would tell you, what, what I've been talking about here are my observations and my conclusions, and uh, other people will have other observations and other very good rationales. I, I particularly like something that Dave Skolnick posted just the other day in the thread. He said, Use AIS where other, where, where commercial traffic in particular would not expect you to be. And his example was if you're cruising in northern waters in the winter, that is a good place to use AIS because commercial traffic would not expect you to be in northern waters in winter. And obviously, a more that's probably a more expensive cap. A more experienced captain probably is well aware of the limitations of AIS, but it's a wise, all of the things I talk about, offshore, at night, poor visibility, the inland rivers, all of those situations are places where other commercial vehicles that could hurt you might not necessarily expect you to be. So that's what I, I, that's just my feeling about it is it's a great tool. It's a wonderful tool. I, I love the tool, but you have to understand what it can do and you have to understand its limits. Perfect. That's excellent advice. Um, Jim, we thank you for sharing your knowledge with us on the podcast today. I know you do it all the time in the forum and on your website. Um, would you give out your website URL one more time, please? Yes, it is Gilwell Bear. Uh, people wonder what that is. Uh, Gilwell Park is the first Boy Scout camp in England, and the Bear Patrol is my patrol. So it's gilwellbear.wordpress.com. All right, Jim Healy, thank you so much. I'm so glad to have you back on Great Loop Radio, and we will have to have you join us again soon. Okay, I look forward to it. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, and thank you to all of our listeners. We will be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm -hmm.